Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to today's episode of the Mastering Retention Podcast. I'm Tom Hammond, uh, co-founder of UserWise and your host for today. Uh, today, um, we are really lucky to have Erez Baron with us, who is the co-founder and CEO of Moolah. Um, it's not too often that we get to have uh, co-founders on the show, so um, super exciting. Um, and it'll be really fun to talk about how your kind of game economy design background, you know, has kind of led into this new company and stuff. Um, before we dive into everything, though, Erez, I always like to ask, you know, what's your story? Like, how'd you get into games? How'd you get to where you are today? Uh, pure luck, uh, to be <laughs> honest. So I lived in the States and I went back to Israel for the holidays back in 2015. And a friend of mine told me that uh, there's a job opening up in a company called Playtica, uh, a small startup. And uh, <laughs> they, have, they have an opening for a game, uh, game economy manager. Um, and, uh, and I applied and uh, everything is history from here on out. <laughs> okay. What does a game economy manager do? Like, what does that actually mean for people that maybe don't know? Um, so it, it actually, it, it, I started as a pricing manager, meaning you're in charge of pricing the personal offers. And then it became, it became something a bit more. So then it's included as a whole. How do you, how do you price, how do you price the payment page, for example, and different features that the company had. Uh, so it means which segment gets an, a $5 offer and which segment gets a $10 offer and when and how often. So this, this was the, the initial role and it, it, became, it became a bigger, a bigger role uh, when, I, when I started uh, working for Huge. So Huge Game is a Polish company. I, I started working there for back in 2017. And I established a game economy team there in Poland. And th maybe then I, I actually became a, so let's say a real economy designer. <laughs> uh, so in Platika, I, I, I was in charge of mostly monetization. So I did, I made, I made money uh, out, of, uh, out of our DAO. In, in huge, it was a bit more interesting. So it's not only how to not only how to make money, but I also started touching retention as well. So I did a lot of um, a lot of uh, economy funnels uh, within uh, within the system, and uh, delved deeper and deeper into the math of of the slots games. Um, so that was a much more holistic experience. Um, very, very interesting. I think like economy design in general is probably the most interesting role uh, within, uh, within gaming because you essentially touch everything. So there's a ton of analytics, a ton of, of understanding uh, how, how people think, not only users, but how people think. So you have to be some, like, somewhat of a salesperson. So you, um, there's a lot of psychology involved, a lot of consumer uh, uh, consumer psychology. Um, there's a ton of uh, UX and and product. I, I recommend to anyone that wants to start working in games uh, to apply for an economy position. By far <laughs> the most 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 interesting and probably uh, will will get you to understand gaming very well. And, and do you guys have a, a game economy position, you know, if they want to work with you and learn from the best? Not yet. Uh, Not but yet. We hope, oh, to, right. we hope to open up uh, a position soon. All right. We'll, we'll be keeping an eye out for that one. Um, Sounds good. Okay. So you have enticed me with a bunch of very interesting questions. Um, I want to loop back just a little bit to your Playtika days. Um, you talked about pricing and you know which segment gets what and stuff i'm curious like do you have any examples of um maybe a segment that you created that uh worked really well from a pricing perspective or maybe something you thought was going to work great and then it just you know fell flat on its face or backfired for you like 
I, I think a lot of people, the, the idea of segmentation makes sense, but when it actually comes to putting it to practice, I think a lot of people don't know where to start or they make a lot of mistakes and they don't see the value actually coming out of it. So um, when I first, so I'll, I'll try to stay within the realm of what I can say that, that I've done. So, <laughs> um, so when, when I first got into to Playtica, first of all, Playtica is a company that is very, very data-driven, extremely. Um, so it's probably the best gaming school in the world. So I, sh- I should point that out outright. Um, and, and I've learned the power of data. Uh, so I, I had the opportunity to work with, uh, with data scientists and to come up with, uh, with new ways of uh, how to group people. And there was one specific way that, uh, that I found was, was probably the most uh, lucrative. Um, and and to, to be honest, I'm not sure, I'm not sure how much I, I, can, I can say, but um, it, it revolves around um, how much people are willing to spend in general. Um, so I think that's, that's what I learned uh, that is uh, probably uh, one of the, the, strongest, the strongest segments. And this is something that I've learned and relearned over and over, over and over again uh, throughout my, my experience in games. Uh, so this has repeat in every interaction I had as a consultant and in all the companies that, that I worked for. Um, so it's, it's to understand exactly how much users are, are willing to spend, when they're willing to spend it, um, and, and I think probably something that another thing that I've learned is that it's so b- before you, before you understand what people are willing to pay, it's also the, the infrastructure to support your decision-making and how you react to it. So a lot of companies offer you the, the possibility of understanding what a user is willing to pay. But uh, you'll, need the, you'll need the technical possibility to react in real time. And that, uh, so real-time segmentation is, is very intricate uh, in terms of the tech itself. Uh, ETL processes tend to, to, to crash. Uh, so the infrastructure is incredibly important. And I think most companies don't understand how important it really is. And uh, they simply uh, bring out third parties that are probably um, not as good as they would, would hope or expect. <laughs> and then the, the results are usually poor. And so, so I think, so Platika had a very, very, very strong uh, set of tools which I think, I think maybe that's the biggest learning is that you first need to have the infrastructure to support, uh, support uh, extracting the, the, inf- the needed information and then reacting to it. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, having spent the last few years uh, building that uh, sort of real-time segmentation layer, it is... Uh, far more complicated than you would uh, realize to get it right. Um, so that's great. Um, okay, so to kind of summarize what you're saying here, and I'm going to try to put it into like a, a real person's mindset or behavior. So rather than just like looking at the user, let's put ourselves in the, the user's point of view. Um, I, as a user, am willing to spend $5 every week to play my game because I love it and it makes it more fun to do. Um, I could be a different user. I'm willing to spend $50 once a month to play the game that I want. A different user, I'm willing to spend $20 every week to play the game that I want. And so um, 
one of the best ways to group players is to look at, you know, what is their average and or max purchase price and how frequently do they do that group players that have a similar purchase, you know, price and frequency together and then create like a special offer or store or something designed to let them spend that amount at the frequency that they're going to spend that. Is that kind of the gist of it? So I think uh, that can work uh, as the first layer or as an MVP for this, uh, but you would need to know, uh, and this is something that I've, uh, that I've learned uh, maybe recently, uh, relatively so, that you need to, to know exactly when to hit um, and that means that the segment is a, a general segment. So this user belongs to a $5 segment. This user belongs to a $5 segment at 6 p.m. on a weekend. Mm. So, uh, so it's a much, uh, it's a much uh, smaller uh, segment. And th this is how you get uh, to a much higher uh, LTV. The problem with, with these very, very small segments is that uh, in, in, well, they work when, when you have an enormous amount, enormous amount of, amounts of data yep. in games that are reliant on in-app purchases. Uh, there aren't that many games that have an such an enormous um, uh, sets of data. So most companies would probably go to a much smaller segmentation. Uh, where it means either how much you, how much user is willing to pay in general, and min max as you, as you've mentioned, and to maybe maybe have a weight system behind the behind the scenes, uh, uh, to learn the user as they as they progress down the monetization funnel. So this is actually something that I've always wanted to try. So to have a, I've never done it, but a weight system behind the scenes that, that will learn. Uh, so you have, let's say, so the user has purchased five, seven and a ten, $10, $10 offers. Every time the user spends $5, the weight increases. Every time they spend $7, that weight increases. Uh, and, and the other weights decrease, for example. Always wanted to try that. Maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll have a chance with Mula very soon. Uh, <laughs> this is a very, very basic. So this is relatively a basic way to, to achieve what I've mentioned. So when you say weight, do you mean like almost monitoring how they use that content? And so Correct. like knowing when they're, you know, just about it. So it's almost like you need to look at how many coins did they have when they bought this offer and we, you know, boosted their coins up. And then now when they're back down to about that same amount of coins, we have that 6 PM offer for $5 ready to pop in as soon as, you know, they hit that coin threshold kind of a thing or something along those lines. So I'm um, actually, so for most companies, most companies will not be able to, to look at timing. Um, because 6 p.m. is is like to be able to say okay in 6 6 p.m. I, I need to hit that pl that player with with an offer that's tough you need really enormous amount of data and that player has to interact with your monetization system many many times uh, so you need to have a lot of data points uh, so so most games won't do that most games uh, what what they what they can do is to have to so, so to look at specific a specific uh, or what whether it's the the price point that was purchased or it's the time when it was purchased in the past probably not all of it like the more the more data points you look at uh, the more intricate it becomes probably the less like it, it makes it even less uh, accurate the, the whole system so i would i, I would recommend to anyone that wants to create such a system to, to be laser focused on, on only one KPI, whether it's the timing or it's the price point 
and start from there. And then once you're, you're successful, then you can add another layer and another layer and another, another layer. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Um, one final question, um, because a lot of companies, when they think about doing something like this, they're really hyper-focused on hitting that statistical significance. It seems to me, even if I have a massive DAU game, which is very hard to do today in this post-IDFA world, um, creating some segment of players that spend $5 once a week and I've waited eight days at 6 p.m. on Saturday or something like it seems like there's a high likelihood that that's going to be such a small group of people that I'm not going to have good statistical significance. Um, especially if I want to like AB test something in there, like is, does that matter? Should there be some gut feels or, you know, what are your, what's your thought along, you know, how do we be appropriate in our tests and our setup here? Uh, so testing is, so, so you're right now, nowadays it's, it has become an extremely difficult task to get to enormous DAO, which means enormous data. Uh, I think a lot of companies now use ad, ad monetization, uh, which cannibalizes in-app purchases. So probably in-app purchases in many cases have become um, less dominant than mm -hmm. what it used to be which means you have now less data to do <laughs> the tests that we were, we're talking about. Um, so most companies will not get statistical significance in any tests that they're doing mm. on in-app purchase monetization. So unless they're willing to, to spend a ton. So yes, gut feeling and, and, and a ton of experience. So the only way, honestly, Nowadays, if you have medium-sized game um, or, or smaller than that, to, to, to come up with a good monetization funnel is, is only if you've worked uh, in, in, a, in a big title. You've already done the tests, so you know how they, how they are supposed, how they're supposed to work, and you implement without A-B testing or at least with A-B testing that has almost no significant, statistical significance. Um, so that's, that's the only way to go about it nowadays, mm. fortunately. <laughs> but, but it's, it's due to good sometimes. reasons, by the way. I don't think it's because IDFA, honestly. I think it's just because gaming was an extremely lucrative business for a very long time. It attracted yep. many, many talents. So everyone is now fighting for, for a pool that, that has gotten bigger, but not a lot bigger. So th that's why we're in the problem we're in right now. <laughs> that's great. Okay, so we're going to move on a little bit. Um, then you went to huge games and you got to actually build this game economy team and kind of run it and stuff. So super cool stuff there. Um, I'm guessing you took those skills and now we've moved on to Moolah and you're probably applying them there. So tell me about Moolah, like how'd that come about? What are you guys up to? So I think the biggest problem that I've encountered uh, throughout my uh, days as, as a manager that, that uh, hires people is how to motivate them. So back in Playtika of of uh, 20, 2015 and 2016, that, that like, e motivation was easy. Like we were a rocket ship. So everyone wants a piece of the pie. Everyone wants to be, to be promoted because they know that they're gonna get something good out of it. But what happens when you're not in a rocket ship? 99% of, at least, yeah, are not rocket ships. So what do you do? How do you motivate people? And especially nowadays in startups where you, have, you don't have a lot of money, everything is more expensive and more complicated. And getting, getting the right talent is extremely hard. So what do you do? So I, I've given a ton of thought about it. And... Um, I've understood that the company needs to have a really strong why. 
a really strong reason why it exists. And people are looking for, so if, the, if you're not a rocket ship from, from day one, you need to give them an incentive to why they should work for you and not the other guy. And it, it, could, it can't be money because money isn't sustainable and it can be benefits, not sustainable either. So I came, I came up with what we're doing right now. So we're actually tackling, uh, we're, we're tackling brain games, which is a category that has not been touched for ages. And we are, we are tackling it in a way that no one, or at least almost no one has done before. Uh, no one has tried. Um, so we want to take brain Hold games. On. Question before we continue. Sure. What, can yeah. you define what a brain game is? Like, what does that actually mean? So I can tell you what it means for me because I haven't okay. checked. I, I didn't <laughs> check uh, Miriam Webster, but uh, <laughs> but brain games uh, brain games are a game. They're games that you have to either focus or so you have to work hard uh, mentally in order to achieve something, whether it's a win, XP, whatever it may be. But it's not a tap tap game. Where, where you, so I think the biggest problem with, in, with the gaming industry, and it's, it's a problem because uh, it makes this industry to look bad for, for uh, when, when you look at it from the outside, it, it, look, it, it has kind of a bad rep, maybe especially, especially mobile, uh, because mobile is extremely monetization driven. So the artists, the, the, the big creators are in console or in PC and they're making crazy, crazy things with Unreal. Um, but, but in mobile, which is actually the biggest part of this industry, it's, it's where the people that are after the money. And I, I think that that's a problem. Um, so this, well, I think it's uh, how people are, are, are looking at us. Uh, so when you, usually in Israel, at least when you say that you work in games, so people ask you, casino? Um, so that's, the, that's probably the first question. And uh, it, it, it makes the talent not come. So the real talent in, in tech and the real talent in art, uh, it's hard for them to make the move towards gaming because gaming is considered something that doesn't contribute to the world. It's, yep. it's only about exploiting the, the players. Well, that is, that's at least how we are perceived, I think. And that's a problem. And, uh, and I think this is, this is uh, the biggest reason why we are tackling what we are tackling, uh, because it makes us attract talent uh, that, was not, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't come otherwise. Plus, I think it's, it's a crazy, crazy big opportunity. So brain games are games that everyone can, can relate to. Uh, right now, they're, they're a niche uh, relatively. But if, if you make it accessible to, to everyone, I think it can, it can be huge. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're focusing on. It's a very, very big task. <laughs> Can you can you take brain games bigger? Now I was just reading about Duolingo yesterday, um, and so you know over time it's become more and more like a game and less like a learning you know platform for language and stuff. Like, do you think that brain games could be extended to kind of go into this kind of educational type space where I'm playing a fun game, but I'm also like learning you know valuable stuff. Um, you know, the only good thing that for me that came out of playing endless hours of Diablo two as a child was they didn't support copy and paste in the trading channel. And so I had to learn how to type really fast. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I think there's aspects of learning that can kind of be incorporated into, you know, games at some level. So I'm, I'm curious if, if that might be where brain games might be going in the future, or is it just like too early to say? So I can't say where they're going but I, I can tell you where I'm taking them. So we are going 
into learning. We want to make, so this is how I explain it to, to other people what we're doing. So you can, you can say to a kid that he needs to eat a carrot and that carrot is going to make that, that kid healthier. So that's why he needs, and you can talk him into it and he'll eat mm-hmm. the carrot, but it's not sustainable because it's not a message that kids relate to health. But if you'll make eating carrots fun, then people will eat them. And you won't have to work as hard as you do in order to, in order to get them to eat it. We, we want to make the world smarter. Now, we can tell them that if they play the, our game, they'll be smarter. And that's a good thing for them because, I don't know, they'll... they'll They'll remember where they put their car keys and they'll be able to focus in meetings and they'll be able to read it through a book. But if, if it will be very fun and the byproduct of playing our game would be that they will become more focused and be able to achieve more in their daily routine, then it's a win-win. And then we won't work as hard and then will be a monster hit. And mm-hmm. I think this can be achieved not only through, so, so you said learning, so it can be math, it can be language, it can be trivia, it can be anything. Um, but there's also a small caveat to, to, to cracking this, this genre is that in, in games that you don't have to focus, there's a ton of stuff you can do that, uh, that makes the game interesting. Uh, so it, whether it's a pop-up or an effect of, of a sort, so a visual reward, an audio reward, whatever it may be. In brain games, you can't because it's every small thing you do is a disturbance. So... That's the biggest challenge that we are facing. So how do we make the game fun, like every other game, but also, um, but also not inhibit players from playing it? So yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest problem with what we're doing. It's very interesting because we're, we're tackling, we're hammering the problems one after another. Fascinating journey. Yeah. So would, would something like a, let's say trivia crack, could that be considered a brain game? Because I do have to kind of think about which of these answers is correct, or is that not quite there? To be honest, I don't know trivia crack. We're not focusing on trivia at the moment. Hmm. So I haven't explored, but, but I can <laughs> tell you that, that what started everything for me, like, like this whole journey was HQ trivia. That was launched, I think, in 2018. Oh, so yeah. H- yeah. H- H- Trivia was was a monster hit back in the day, but it it blew it, well. As fast as it blew up, uh, fast as it as it grew, it also blew up very Imploded, fast. Yeah. Because, um, and it was due to the fact that they didn't have a monetization strategy, <laughs> not a, not a viable one. Can't give away the, free money. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we don't do that, and the cost of our servers is much cheaper than than what what they had to spend. And in terms of game design as well, so I think the biggest problem with HQ Shavia was the fact that if you if you answer the wrong question, that's it, you're out of the game. You have zero motivation of of, of staying. That's a really 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 bad bad problem to have you want players to be able to interact with your game for as for as long as possible or at least for as long as it's healthy for them right because you would also you wouldn't want people spending hours on your game on a daily basis because then they'll, they'll have fun for for a week and then uh, if eventually it's it becomes uh, it's become a nuisance for for their lives so we don't want to be a nuisance we want to be we want to be a game that that helps that helps people. Yeah. Interesting. Um, 
So I hear a lot of people talk about this idea of flow. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept, but like getting into this state where you're just like cruising at optimal speed, not really thinking about the the minutia of things. Um, is it possible for a brain game that's actually like pushing you and teaching you things? Like, can you get into that state of flow when you're actually learning things? So it's a question that, that needs to be answered. So I don't know. So we haven't done it. We haven't <laughs> created a game that you can simply play um, without thinking too much. You have to focus. You have to concentrate. It's, it's work. It's fun work. So what we've done so far is it, it's a fun game. Uh, but, but, but it is a brain game. And it needs, it needs focus. And I don't think brain games are, so I don't think they'll be able to, uh, to, to give you what, uh, that, the same sensation as, as a slots game, where you tap, you, you enjoy, you tap, and then you enjoy. It's not, it's not the same. Gotcha. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys have some like super interesting problems to solve. Like I want to come work with you guys. So it's exciting, exciting stuff. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, starting the studio. So I think a lot of people in gaming kind of have this dream of being able to start a studio or at least join like a really early studio and have like a really big part of, you know, building out the games, building out the company, et cetera. So um what was it like, you know, when you, you started, like, how did you find co-founders? Who did you look for? What was that process like? So I was actually looking for, for co-founders since 2017. So I, I think I've, I've talked to hundreds of potential co-founders and uh, it's been a really tough time to, to, to find the right people. Yeah, because you need to find not only the people with the right skill set, which is extremely hard in Israel, because back, back then, most, most of the development was not done in Israel. So there weren't a lot of very experienced people in gaming, in mobile gaming, that, are, that were looking to start something of their own. Not a lot of them. So it was hard to get to those people. Um, and. I, I searched for honestly like more more than four years until until I found uh, the right people to uh, to start this journey with, and when I did find them, it was again dumb luck. Uh, <laughs> so so a friend uh, put a message in in a in a WhatsApp group of founders saying, "Hey, I have I have a friend that is looking to start his own." his own gaming company. Do you know anyone that is looking to, to start something like that with this skill set? And then another person said, hey, I know two guys that have left their company to start a gaming studio. Both of them are techies looking for, for the business angle. You should talk. And, and, and that's it. This is how it happened. And uh, the guys actually wanted to do VR in the beginning. And I had, I had to persuade a bit uh, to, to get them to, to, to drop it. And, and I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy that, that uh, eventually I was able to and that we're doing what we're doing. Because I think, oh, come on, guys. You could have been introducing legs to the metaverse. It would have been revolutionary. <laughs> no, 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 thank you. I, I, have a ton, I have a ton to say about metaverse and, and, and VR and all of these quote unquote, revolutionary things that, that are happening. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure if we have two more hours. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so you search for co-founders for, for four years. Um, what are some traits or things that like you looked for that like, are there any lessons learned that go into that? Like, what should a person be looking for when they're looking for co-founders? Because I think that's one of the hardest things. Like, I know a lot of people are like, well, I want to start a studio, but I know I need to find co-founders, but like, I don't know what to look for. So like, do you have a, a few traits or commonalities or like, what would you say they should look for in their co-founders? I think, so, so the best 
the best co-founders are people that have already either done the journey uh, already once, uh, but but most so most co-founders are not that way. So most co-founders are are they lack the experience because if they if they had the experience, if it's successful experience, and they either sold the company or they probably won't won't start another one from scratch. So so let's talk about the average co-founder that you should look for. So the average co-founder is someone that has the time, has the, the ability to learn what they need to do in order to, to be successful. So it's not necessarily the person that, that has, so it's usually won't be the person that, that's already experienced. So it's usually not the CTO of, of another game company. Usually it's, it's either a team lead or someone that is that was very senior in 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 the R and D that knows uh, the in either knows the, the ins and outs of what needs to be done, or is extremely smart and have the ability to learn. Uh, plus, have experience from a parallel industry. For example, I don't know uh, e-commerce or like some something with that that is still B two C. Um, because the mindset, the mindset is, is very important. Mm-hmm. Be, like working in a B2B product is so much different than working for, for B2C. Um, so I think, I think this is what, what, what I've learned is that, uh, you don't need to, uh, you don't need to, um, and compromise. You don't need to compromise for tech skills. You don't need to compromise for uh, for the ability to learn. And the, that person needs to be extremely smart. So find someone you can talk to, you can run ideas with that you relate to that is going to be your friend because the journey is long and it's hard and everything that can go wrong will go wrong multiple times so you have to understand it you have and and i think something that i've learned not not in this journey but you know in my life is that it's not about getting somewhere it's about the journey itself so let's say this company will be extremely successful and will sell it for a ton of money so selling it is 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 a moment but the journey itself that that's going to take us five or seven years, whatever it may be. So that's a really, really long time. So make sure you you'll you'll enjoy the people uh, that you're spending this time with. That's great. I love it. Um, okay, one final question about you know co-founders in the gaming space. How many and what skill set should like each person have? Like, what what's the right number and what's the right kind of skill set? You know that you should be looking for. So I think three is the magic number in terms of how many co-founders uh, need to be in a project, because you'll always get into a fight. <laughs> the fights <laughs> always happen, and there's always always there's need to be a third person that that can be the bridge between between the two parties. So that's really important. And and I and in terms of, of the, the personas themselves, so I think everyone needs to have a domain. So the, the peop the it doesn't matter what's the domain as long as you have something that you're an expert in. So the other co-founders can can rely on you. And if, if you're not a domain expert, then at least you need to have access to other domain experts that can help you. Well, that's actually maybe more important because no one can be an expert in anything. And, and there's, in order to, to achieve success, you need a ton of experience in multiple, uh, in multiple uh, angles within gaming. So you need to have access to, to a large talent pool so you need to have connections. So I think I wouldn't get anywhere without the friends I have in the industry, honestly. Like I, I would not have found my co-founders. 
I would not have raised the money. I would not reach MVP. I would not reach where we are today. And so make sure that the people that, you're, that you are bringing into your company, they have, uh, they have friends that can help them along the way. And they have people that they can ask tough questions and consult with. Um, in terms of whether, let, let's say technical skills. So I recommend uh, product, dev, and, and marketing. So if you, have, if you have these three, you'll be able to, you'll probably be able to succeed. Now dev is, is the tricky part because dev is, is you won't find someone that, that is an expert on both uh, is, uh, front and back. So usually it's a person that has, uh, that understands server very well or is a Unity expert, but you won't get both. So if you have to make a decision between, between the two, I would say go with, with server person uh, to, lead, uh, to lead the team because uh, Unity experts are a bit easier to, to find. And uh, deciding on a tech stack is much, much more important than uh, making a decision on, on uh, asset bundles or whatever that is being decided in Unity. Um, because a tech stack will, will, will go with you for a very long time and it has <laughs> severe consequences. On, on whatever you do. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Can you uh, just outline, like, what's the difference between product and dev for maybe our non-technical people, like more of our marketers? Like, how, how would you differentiate those two? So product, are, uh, product is, is, is the person that's somewhat of a game design, somewhat of an economist, somewhat of a monetization person, uh, that that understands what players' expectations are, and what's the best way to tackle them. So that's that's a product person. They don't have to be. They don't have to have a product title, uh, but they they need to understand very well what is what is a good product, how to get there. So experience with A-B testing, by the way, is tremendously important for, for, for product person. Uh, you're, you're not a product person uh, unless you've done a lot of A-B tests because uh, that's the fundamental, of, that's the fundamental of, of, of being a product person. I think, in, well, at least in gaming, I don't know how, how it is in other industries. And, and, uh, and R&D and dev are, are the people that execute uh, the crazy ideas that product have. That's great. Um, cool. So maybe to bring this to a real world example, the product team is like the architect and the uh, structural engineer that designs the house. The engineers or the R&D teams are the actual workers that take those designs and build that house up with the real materials. And then the marketing team are the folks that uh, get the people to come and check out this, you know, new building that we built kind of a thing. So I would, so I think that in the past year and a half, I've learned that uh, maybe the product is more of the person that dreams the house when, when they're asleep. So they dream of a house and they want it. And then wait, they wake up and they come to the dev team. And then the dev team needs to actually structure it. And, and only then also the dev team needs to build it. But uh, now that I'm knee deep in game dev, I understand how much planning needs to be done on the tech side uh, before it, it actually, actually gets to development. So there's a, there's a ton, a ton, a ton of, of work that needs to be done before it's ready. Um, so the product part, honestly, it's usually the, the easy part. So for the first time in my life, 
I, I encountered questions like how, how to handle errors. So, and it, and, and it turns out that it's a pretty big issue in games. So there's a ton of errors that can happen. How do you deal with them? Every error happens in a different, in a, in a different environment for different types of users. And, and it's incredibly intricate. And just, and just planning that, that thing that can, can, that can from, from the outside, it looks like, oh, the tech team can handle it. Uh, it's actually a really, really big issue. So uh, kudos to, 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 to good devs. Honestly, they have <laughs> a really, really tough job. Yeah, I would agree with that. You're, it, and the difference between like a good dev and a great dev is staggeringly different. Um, it, it's it blows my mind. Um, and if you can find the generalist, it's even better. The the guy that actually can do front end and back end. Um, you're getting into like google facebook quality dev that can just like pick up new things and become experts at it like nearly instantly very hard to find those people but if you can they're all stars um okay i agree so um don't have a lot of time left about five minutes i want to talk about actually how do you build out a great team so you've got the founding team how do you find you know employees or team members to come and help you do this because at the end of the day even in a games company typically the founders aren't the ones that build the game that's successful usually it's the team that they hire and they bring on so how do you find people that are let's say more talented smarter than yourselves or domain experts and get them you know on board and actually doing really great things so so I, i've mentioned this like i think 20 minutes ago something like that 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 if you start with the wide, it becomes easier. So I think that was our main go-to employee strategy. So every time I talked to, to a potential team member, I've laid out exactly what we're planning to do, why we're doing what we're doing, and how well are we planning to achieve it. And I've, I've, tried, to, I've tried as much as I can to figure out if, if that spark I see, like if I see a spark in their eyes and if that spark is, is coming from the right reasons or not. Mm. And I've, I think I've interviewed hundreds of people uh, in, in the past year. And uh, I think, to be honest, uh, something like something bad is happening for, for tech. Uh, so it, it becomes a lot, a lot about money. And uh, I, I talked to a lot, of, a lot of people that have started, started working for a company six months ago. Um, and I'm saying to myself, why are you talking to me? Like, you're, you're a smart person. Why are you talking to me after six months in another company? Go do your best. Succeed. And, and talk to me in a year and a half from now. But, but still, I get, I get a ton of, a ton of uh, candidates that, uh, that, have, that feel like mercenaries, honestly. So we, I, I try to, to avoid hiring that kind of people because they'll leave me faster than they leave their current employer. Uh, because honestly, what do I have to offer, right? I'm a small startup company, so uh, my, my resources are limited. So, so I... I focus on I focus on the differentiator, which is, which is our why. And honestly, I wake up every morning not because uh, not because I want to make a crazy big exit. It's because I want to make gaming something mobile gaming to be exact, something that I can be proud of saying that I'm into. I mean, I'm in mobile gaming, uh, and and I think that. It's already happening. So uh, in the last year, when I said to people what I do, I got such a different response than what I used to get not long ago <laughs> that, that it's, it's really nice. And uh, so, so I think that um, this is my, our differentiator. This is what I tell to, to employees. I try to find people that are that are motivated for the right reasons. Uh, 
I offer a ton of equity so that if we are successful, they are successful. Mm-hmm. And um, I bring in seniors. So uh, we, we have one junior, but uh, honestly, we try to, that's because she's a superstar, but uh, we try to avoid juniors sadly because startups I, I don't I don't think small startups needs to need to to teach people how to work I think startups need to rely on talent that come that have best practices from the industry already that can set up a team of their own um, so that's I think uh, what small startups need to to focus on um, and honestly we're, we're like we, we are I think we are at our limit in Israel So we already have established a, a very, very senior team. And uh, that's it. We're, we're going to start. We already are looking for an extension to our team uh, in Europe. So we're building another branch for Moolah in Europe, uh, which will be comprised of seniors as well, um, but possibly less senior people than what we have in Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's on the agenda at the moment. That's great. Well, if you're in Europe, uh, definitely check it out. It seems like a really cool opportunity. Um, so, uh, Erez, we are kind of out of time here. I do have one last question because we are on the Master Retention Podcast, and that is, you know, what's one tip or trick or lesson you've learned over the years to increase retention? Like, how do you keep the players coming back day after day, week after week, hopefully year after year? So, uh, by far, it's... Uh being fair so you have to make sure that your game is is fair for for everyone not fair for the average player but fair for every individual player make sure their experience is spot on if they're playing against an opponent make sure that their opponent is not too lucky <laughs> make sure that they're not too lucky Make sure, make sure you control the experience and, and you streamline it. And whatever you expect to happen happens. If, if, and if you, design, if you design it well, they'll come and they'll stay. That's great. I love it. Um, well, Eris, if folks do want to get in contact with you with you know, questions or interested in learning more about Moolah or this kind of new branch opening in, in Europe, uh, What's a good way to get in contact with you? Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So uh, feel free to, to reach out. I promise I'll do my best to answer. <laughs> That's great. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.